0: Can you hear me now? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's more better. Okay, well, it's been a while since I've been here. Uh, I was (laughs) pointing out the last time I was here the organ and the piano and everything was over there, and a few things were different. uh, There were a lot fewer people here then, too. So, (laughs) amen. It's an honor to be here. Uh, Things are well in Chattanooga. My wife, Karen sends you greetings. She's over in Oxford, England, working on her dissertation, and uh, I just talked to her this morning by uh, uh, FaceTime. Isn't this great technology? Anyway, so she tells me to tell you hello. I want to call your attention to Nehemiah this morning, Um, Nehemiah chapter 9. We're going to cover the whole chapter, but I'm only going to read to you a portion of that chapter, because I think I'll be kind of narrating what's going on um, in the rest of the chapter throughout the, uh, the message this morning. So we're going to start reading at verse 32, although it covers the whole chapter. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 32. We'll go to verse 38. Now therefore, O our God the great and mighty, awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love. Do not let all this hardship seem trifling to you in your eyes, that has come upon us, upon our kings and our leaders, upon our priests and prophets, upon our fathers and all the people from the days of the kings of Assyria until today. In all that has happened to us, you have been just, you have acted faithfully while we did wrong. Our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our fathers did not follow your law. They did not pay attention to your commands or the warnings you gave them. Even while they were they were in their kingdom enjoying the great goodness uh, to them, your great goodness to them, in the spacious and fertile land you gave to them. They did not serve you or turn from their evil ways. But see, we are slaves today, slaves in the land that you gave to our forefathers so that they could eat its fruit and the other good things it produces. Because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us, They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. This is a remarkable chapter about a great renewal and revival that was going on among the people of Israel. And so today I want you to think with me and pray with me around the subject, amazing grace. Let's say that together. Amazing grace. Well, in spite of their many sins, Israel was back in the land that God gave their forefathers. This is right after the Babylonian captivity if you remember. Remember, they were very careless about keeping the law. They were very careless about their covenant with God, and they ended up in Babylonian captivity under Nebuchadnezzar. And now they've been released, and they're back. So they can eat its fruit and the other good things it produces. But because they were rebellious and ungrateful, they became virtual slaves to foreign kings. However, this was a time of restoration and renewal for Israel as they were rebuilding Jerusalem. Remember, Jerusalem had been ruined, and now they're rebuilding Jerusalem and things are coming together. External opposition rose from Sanballat and Tobiah in the form of ridicule and other things. And this discouraged the Israelites from almost, and it almost halted the rebuilding of the wall but they were able to overcome this, this opposition under Nehemiah's wise leadership. And the wall, as you know, was finished in 52 days. Internal strife over Jew-on-Jew exploitation almost succeeded in destroying the, re- the reconstruction of, of Jerusalem. But Nehemiah's swift and decisive action broke the back of this injustice brought the perpetrators of injustice to practical repentance and restored the victims of injustice to wholeness. The restoration was well underway, and now it was time for renewal. On this solemn occasion, they were they were formalizing their covenant commitment with God to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, and to set the oppressed free. According to Isaiah 58, verse 6, this was the kind of religion that God was pleased with. But furthermore, disobedience to God's command led many Israelite men to marry pagan wives. Now, ethnicity was not the issue here. The issue was the wives' pagan worship. It was okay for them to marry people who were not Jews as long as they worshipped the true and living God. But they continued to worship their idols and drew their husbands away to that idol worship. That's what happened to Solomon, remember? It was their pagan worship that was the issue. And in the words of Psalms 106, Verses 35-36. They mingled with the nations and adopted their customs. They worshipped their idols, which became a snare to them. But Ezra, who had just preceded Nehemiah, led them to practical repentance. He made them divorce their idol-worshipping wives if they did not repent of their idolatry. Evidently, some of the Israelites remarried pagans and re-ensnared themselves. And thus, Nehemiah led them to forsake these illicit relationships as a precondition for renewing their covenant with God. So here we're getting ready to see a great reformation and revival in in Israel. In chapter 8, we see the beginning of an Israelite renewal. They thoroughly reviewed the law and they celebrated the the joyous Feast of Trumpets. Now, the Israelites had the history of God's grace toward them in the Scriptures. And yet, here in chapter 9, they felt it necessary to to recite this history of grace, not only in prayer, but in their own words. And when you think about your own life, our faith is renewed by, by, by reviewing God's grace in the scriptures, isn't it? Is it not? But our faith is empowered by reviewing God's grace in our own histories. <clears throat> if it had not been for the Lord, where would I be? Doing this vividly reminds us that God is faithful in spite of our unfaithfulness that God is greater than our challenges. The problem is sometimes we see God as only greater than the last challenge we face. So when a greater challenge comes, we say, oh, 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 God can't handle that. Have you ever ever been there? Oh, I know know you got me over that time, but God, this is too big for you. (laughs) And And our faith breaks. And the problem is that we don't understand God. We see God as limited. We see God as finite. But God's faithfulness is infinite. It is unlimited. Exactly. God gives us increasingly challenges increasing challenges to stretch our faith. Hopefully, As God stretches our faith more and more, hopefully we will understand what God said to Jeremiah. Jeremiah had the same problem. Jeremiah said, God, you can't handle this. And what did he say to Jeremiah in chapter 32, verse 27? He says, I am the the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? This was a fervent time of prayer as the Israelites faced their future as the people of God. Now, here are the main points of the prayer they prayed. First, they acknowledged and gave thanks to God for his grace. Second, they confessed their sins in an attitude of repentance, sorrow, and humility. They showed sorrow by wearing sackcloth. They showed humility by putting... Dust on their heads. Third, they acknowledged that they brought God's judgment upon themselves. Fourth, they also acknowledged that God's judgments were righteous, justified, and deserved. Fifth, then they concluded with a solemn recommitment to covenant obedience to God. Unlike today, they did not detach themselves from their forefathers. They fully acknowledged their corporate responsibility. So now let's get into this chapter here. Verses 1 through 5. They read from the scriptures before they prayed. Scripture reading gave them guidance in matters of prayer, and prayer made them sensitive to the scripture in, in matters of guidance. Verses 5 through 7. They called to God. In loud voices and praised him. They praised him for who he is. The true and living God. The exalted above the heavens. They praised him for what he has done in general. He created all things. He gave life to creatures. And the multitudes of heaven worship him. Verses 7 through 31. Here we are. Now I want you to think now. Just think. As we review Israel's history, I want you to recognize some familiar patterns. Let's see if this doesn't remind you of something as we look at Israel's history. Just think about your own history with God, and let's see if you can't see something that sounds familiar. All right, so here we go. Here God is is they're, they're reviewing God's track record with them. First, verses 7 through 8, the calling of Abraham. God chose him and brought him for out of Ur to the Chaldees. I used to wonder how, how to pronounce that. I used to, I used to say Ur. Right? You are? It's Ur. <laughs> okay. God found Abraham's heart faithful because he gave him a faithful heart. God made a special covenant of salvation with him. And in spite of Abraham's many flaws, God honored him by giving him the name Abraham, father of many nations. And God promised to give the land of Canaan to Abraham and his seed. Second, verses 9 through 11, the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. This is the track record. Remembering, this was especially important because they were praying for the completion of their deliverance from Babylon. They were, they were back in their land, but they were not completely delivered from Babylon. Why? Well, it, well, it were, they were under the Persians, but the point is they were still under foreign domination. And God saw the suffering of their forefathers in Egypt. God heard their cry at the Red Sea and responded. He delivered, He delivered them through the Red Sea, and he destroyed his enemies in the Red Sea. By this, Egypt and the whole world came to know who God was. God visibly identified with them 24-7 as he guided them through the wilderness. By day, by a pillar of cloud. By night, by a pillar of fire. Third, verses 13-14, through 14, the giving of the covenant law at Mount Sinai. This was the greatest honor God bestowed upon them. He actually spoke to them from heaven. Imagine that. He gave them regulations and laws that no other nation in the world had such access to God's wisdom through direct revelation. They now could clearly understand right from wrong, good from evil. The Sabbath, God was expressing his desire to commune with them. To mentor them. The Sabbath was also a paradigm of salva- for salvation. This is what salvation would be. You would enter into the rest from all of this toil. It was a preview on the coming gospel of grace. Fourth, God's provision in the wilderness: bread from heaven, water from a rock, quail from the sky. Now, how would you how would you describe all of this? How would you describe all this? Amazing what? Grace. Did Israel appreciate God's amazing grace? No. Instead, they were rebellious and ungrateful. They became arrogant and stubborn. They refused to listen to God. They did not remember the wonderful things that God had done for them. They took God's favor for granted and not for grace. They made an idol in the form of a calf and proclaimed it as the God who led them out of Egypt. Yet, there you go. Yet, God was compassionate and faithful. He gave Israel the privilege of being his special people. He was true to his covenant name. What was his, what does this covenant name mean? Forgiving, slow to anger, abounding in love and compassion. Therefore, God did not desert them. He continued to identify with them and guide them twenty-four-seven. He continued to mentor them. He continued to feed them from feed them and satisfy their thirst. He even kept their clothes from wearing out and their feet from swelling. I could use some of that. My ankles have been complaining a lot. (laughs) Oh, hallelujah. (laughs) God continued to be generous to Israel. He gave them kingdoms and nations. He made them as numerous as the stars in the sky. He gave them the land He promised to their forefathers. He captured, they captured fortified cities and fertile land. They took possession of beautiful houses filled with good stuff. Plasma TVs and all that kind of business. All right. BMW is in the driveway, you know. And Teslas. <laughs> he gave them wells already dug. Vineyards that were already producing. Olive groves and fruit trees in abundance. Such a lost land was beyond their imagination, and it was all prepared for their enjoyment. They ate to the full and were well-nourished. They basked in the delights of God's abundant gifts. They could not have been better off as a people. How would you describe all of this? Amazing grace. But let me ask you a question. Did Israel appreciate God's amazing grace? No! Instead, they were rebellious and ungrateful. They were disobedient and turned against God. They put God's law behind their backs. They killed the prophets God sent them to uh, uh, admonish them to repent. They committed awful blasphemies. They sold themselves by their sins into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. In their oppression, they cried out to God. Yet, God was compassionate and faithful. Though Israel forsook God, God did not forsake them. He heard their cries from heaven. He gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hands of their enemies. God's concern for them was unprecedented. How would you describe all of this? Amazing grace. But let me ask you a question. Did Israel appreciate God's amazing grace? No! Instead, they were rebellious and ungrateful. As soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in God's sight. In other words, they tried to use God's grace against God. Then God abandoned them into the hands of their enemies who ruled over them. Yet God was compassionate and faithful. When they cried out to God again, He heard from heaven. He delivered them time after time after time after time. He warned them to return to obedience. He related to them like a, a loving father. How would you describe all of this? Amazing grace. Now let me ask you a question. Did Israel appreciate God's amazing grace? No! Instead, they were rebellious and ungrateful. They became arrogant and disobeyed God's commands. They sinned against God's ordinances. Ordinances which gave life to those who obeyed them. They stubbornly turned their backs on God. They became stiff-necked and refused to listen. Yet what god was compassionate and faithful for many years god was patient with israel by his spirit he admonished them through his prophets the prophets were made made clear that israel's deliverance from oppression was purely by his grace and not by israel's evil cleverness god demonstrated his love to them to, to them time and time and time and time again How would you describe all of this? Amazing grace. But now let me ask you a question. (laughs) Did Israel appreciate God's amazing grace? No. (laughs) Instead, they were what? Rebellious and ungrateful. They paid no attention. So God handed them over to the neighboring peoples. Yet God was compassionate and faithful. In His great mercy, He did not put an end to them or forsake them. God himself himself uh, showed himself to be merciful. How would you describe all of this? Amazing grace. Now let me ask you, something a little different. Do these basic patterns sound familiar in your history? with God's amazing grace. Do you really appreciate God's amazing grace? Verses 32 through 38, Israel's confessions and and, and prayer requests. Verse 32, their confession. Now They they had reviewed all this history, and here they're getting ready to confess something to God. They said, God, you are great, Mighty and awesome. God, you keep your covenant love. This verse 32, you see the first prayer request based on the first confession. And they asked God, they said, God, don't let the hardships we've suffered seem trivial to you. The hardships we inherited from our kings and leaders, our priests and prophets, from our forefathers the hardships we suffered from the days of the kings of Assyria unto the day. Verse 33 to 35, there's a second confession. And they said, basically, we justly deserve the hardship we suffered. Lord, you acted faithfully while we did wrong. They had the wisdom to justify God and condemn themselves. Now, here's an interesting little piece of wisdom, and I share this a lot. First of all, does God ever say anything because it's true? <laughs> nope. All right. But let me say this. God never says anything because it's true. You know? It's true because God says it, right? God never does anything because it's right. It is right because God does it. Amen. Amen. All right. I thought I thought I thought I'd get that from you. Okay. All right. They confessed, Lord, we did not follow your laws. Not our kings, not our leaders, not our priests, not our fathers. We did not pay attention to your commands and the warnings you gave us. Our forefathers did not serve you and turn from their evil ways, even while they were in their own kingdom, even while they enjoyed your great goodness, even while they prospered in the spaces and fertile land you gave them. They're confessing now. They're getting ready to renew their covenant with God, and they're fessing up. Now, Verses 36 through 37, you have an implied second prayer request based on the first two confessions. And here was that second prayer request that's implied, but you can see it very clearly. Lord, we don't want to dictate to you what to do, but please get us out of this mess and get this mess out of us. (laughs) That's right. Get us out of it. That's right. Amen. Amen. They said, we are slaves today, slaves in the land that, uh, that you gave to our forefathers so they can eat its fruit and, and, and the other things it produces. We were meant to be landowners, but now we are nothing but tenants. Amen. We would not serve you in our own land, so you made us serve enemies to, in a strange land. Our abundant harvest goes to the kings who have placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. And to them, we're nothing but sharecroppers. And we are in great distress. Verse 38, you see an implied third prayer request based on the first two confessions. And here, here it comes. Lord, we trust that you know what's on our hearts. So please give us the grace to keep the covenant we're about to make with you. We are making a binding agreement. We are putting it in writing. And our leaders and our Levites are affixing their seals to it. So what is all this about? We look at some history. We see some patterns in our own lives. So what, what are we seeing here? By their confessions and prayer requests, they were fulfilling the words of Jeremiah, chapter 50, verse 5. They will ask the way to Zion and turn their faces toward it. They will come and bind themselves to the Lord in an everlasting covenant that will never be forgotten. Now, did God answer their prayer request? You know he did in their lifetimes. But because of their honesty, they were not surprised by God's assurance. But because they were sinners, they regarded God's assurances as necessary. But God had a greater answer in store for them, an answer that they could not have even imagined. You see, here they wanted to keep the law. Here they wanted to be right. Here they wanted to to be true to the covenant. But they knew they were sinners and they knew they couldn't do it. They were asking for God's help. And God says, let me tell you something. I'm going to give you a new kind of covenant. And this new kind of covenant, you will not have to keep in your own strength. Listen to Ezekiel 11, 19 through 20. He said, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them that heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And I will be their people. I mean, you will and they will be my people and I will be their God. And then he also goes on later on. And he says, and someone is going to come to get them out of this mess and get this mess out of them. Jeremiah 23, verse 5 and 6. The days are coming, declares the Lord, that I will rise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. And then the angel comes and tells uh, Mary later on, says his name will be Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this, God is saying, there's someone coming that's going to do this for us. Isn't it great to live in a time when we look back on the coming of Jesus? God was greater than Israel's sinful mess and distress. But the story of God's compassion and faithfulness is not just Israel's story. It is our story. It is your story. It's your, it's your life. How would you How would you describe all of this? Amen. That, that get it done. <laughs> I like. <to. laughs> Amen. Amen. But, of course, the story of rebellion and gratefulness is not just Israel's story. It is our story. It is your story. You know, there you go. Amen. <laughs> That's right. Now, watch this. You're right. You're right. Now, let's, let's sh- think about this. That's right. Let, let me let me let me lay something on you. You know what tripped up, you know what tripped up Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, you know, you know. Everybody says they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? Right, right. Well, it wasn't an apple. We know that. It was a banana. No, 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 <laughs> no. They ate from the tr- the knowledge the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right, right. Is that right? Now, most of us think of that as the as the tree of the information of good and evil. Now, no, it wasn't the tree of the information no. of good and evil. You see, here's the deal. Adam and Eve understood what good and evil were. They had an extensive knowledge of good and evil, but that knowledge was based on the Word of God. They knew this was good because the Word of God said so. They knew this was evil because the Word of God said so. They knew that. It wasn't a matter of curiosity. Let me tell you what tripped them up. You see, how do you judge good and evil anyway? Good and evil are judged by the Word of God, and the Word of God is an expression of God's character. Is that right? All right. The temptation was, how do you determine good and evil? Do you judge it on the Word of God, or do you judge it by your own opinion? Now, have you ever willfully sinned. Have you ever done something you knew was wrong from Jump Street? You knew it was wrong, but you did it anyway. Guess what? You just reenacted the sin of our, our first parents. It's when we decide what is right and wrong, based on our opinion, we say, that's it. I know this thing I'm about to do is wrong. I know this is wrong, but we figure out a way to make it right. I've been good for two months. I deserve a break today. (laughs) I owe it to myself. I've earned the right to do this thing. Does that sound familiar? All right. And you know, God still gives us amazing grace. This is your story. This is not just some ancient people, Israel somewhere. This is your story. This is my story. Time and time and time and time and time again, God gives me amazing grace, and do I appreciate it? No! I become rebellious and stubborn. Wake up every morning. morning. But, you know, God is greater than our sinful mess and distress. If we honestly confess our mess... God will get us out of this mess. He will save us from the mess. And he will get the mess out of us. We don't have to wait for the sweet by and by for this. We have Jesus in the nasty now and now. Jesus is still faithful and just. And he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all all unrighteousness. All we had to do was honestly confess our mess to him. Without Christ, we can do nothing. But we can do all things in Christ who strengthens us. And you know, we can keep the covenant of God not in our own strength, but in God's strength. Listen to the Apostle Paul in Philippians two, twelve and thirteen. He says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it is God who works in you, both to act and to do according to his good pleasure. You see. The story goes on. Ungratefulness, rebellion, stubbornness. It's our lives, saints. It's our lives. But Jesus came to save us from that. And I can't wait to, to the day when the mess will be out of me. I don't, want it. I don't want this mess. But sometimes I choose it. God continues to be compassionate and faithful. And by his amazing grace, let us be obedient and grateful to God who is compassionate and faithful. Just remember that. Next time you think about this, don't just take it for granted. I mean, look, look, let me tell you something. If I was God, first of all, I'd give it to me. I wouldn't say me. And you know what? I wouldn't save any of, any of y'all. Cause y'all too much of a headache. <laughs> but I'm glad God is not me. Amen. Because unlike me, God is a God of amazing grace. Amazing grace. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your amazing grace. We thank you for your faithfulness in spite of our histories, in spite of our mess-ups, in, in spite of our stubbornness, in spite of our rebellion. We look at Israel, Lord, and we can say how terrible those people are.